Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. Hey, so glad you're here today. Grab your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Some of you thought you'd come in today. We'd be in Genesis 6 talking about Noah, didn't you? And uh, it is a wet one, but we're going to jump back to Matthew chapter 3. While you're turning there, we will be sharing in communion here in just a few moments. And so if you did not have the opportunity to, uh, to pick up the communion elements as you came in today, they are available just right outside the auditoriums, whether you're here in Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2, uh, both on the upper and the lower levels. And so you can pick those up there. If you're joining us online or by way of television, so glad that you're here today. And we invite you to maybe find something that uh, in your home uh, it can represent the bread and the cup as we share in communion together here in uh, just a few moments. Also shared last uh, Sunday that the Thursday night services that we have had uh, recently, we will not be bringing back in the fall. Instead, we're gonna be turning our attention to what we call our first Wednesday services, the first Wednesday of each month. Um, and this is something that's kind of really important to us as a church, kind of as a part of our spiritual heritage, that we have times that are specifically focused on us coming to the Lord and looking for the Lord's presence, the, the work of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives. And so the first Wednesday night of each month, seven o'clock in this room, we'll have this first Wednesday service, kind of a time of some extended worship. We'll spend some time in God's word and then very deliberate time in prayer together, seeking for the work of the Spirit and God's presence to be active in our lives. And so first one will be September 7th, and I hope you will make arrangements to join us. We'll have more about that here in the next couple of weeks for you to hear as well. Well, we're taking a little trip through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, last week we had worked our way up to Matthew chapter three, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up chapter three today. We looked at the life of John the Baptist last week. We talked about getting ready for God to show up, and today we're gonna talk about Jesus' baptism and look at what happens there. And if you'll if you'll join me for this, I want to look at it as if we're kind of going on a little journey here today. Have you ever had a road trip? where you, you get in the cars and you're going, and sometimes the whole point of the trip is we gotta get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. And then there's times where you have a little road trip where you've got a little bit of leisure time, you're not in such a hurry, and it truly is as much a part of the, the, the journey as it is the destination. And so you can slow down a little bit and not just be forced to get from point A to point B. Anybody ever had a trip like that? A Bunch of you are like, no. I got a place to be, right? You're just, let's go. That's how I usually am. And a few years ago, our family was, was out west, and we had a couple of days where our schedule was a little looser. So as we drove through this you know, geography that's very different from what we have here, there were places where if somebody said, hey, let's pull over there, there's a scenic view, or look at that valley, or look at those mountains, or hey, hey it'd be fun to stop there, we could do it. Like We had the freedom to do that. Most Sundays, we get a passage of scripture, and we're just like, let's get through it. Today, we're only gonna look at five verses. And so if you'll join me, we're gonna kind of take a little bit more of a, of a journey through these passages of scripture. There's gonna be a couple times we're gonna pull over for a little scenic overlook, if you will. A couple times we're gonna stop and just say, let's take it before we, before we push through this passage, let's take a look at this together. And the passage we're gonna look at is in Matthew chapter three. We're gonna look at the story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter three, and, and what I hope you'll see are the blessings of Jesus' baptism. 
Because usually when we read this passage, we're kind of quick to go through it and think that it's just a little historical note about Jesus' life. It's just something on his, his timeline of his life. And even though this story is all about Jesus, there is so, so, so much more there that's for us to take in and understand that, that we don't wanna miss this. Matthew chapter three, uh, let's look at these five verses first. We'll just kind of read through them to get an overview. And then we'll go back and start our journey. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And so this is a powerful passage of scripture, Matthew chapter three. It's an important historical note in the life of Jesus. So let's do this. Let's just kind of move through it, just kind of verse by verse. We'll take a little journey and we'll start here. Matthew chapter three, verse 13. We'll look around as we go and it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, if we've been kind of following along with this story in Matthew, as we've read through this, right away when you read that, it's, it's possible that you might go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would Jesus come to be baptized by John? Because we just read about this. Who was coming to John to be baptized? If you remember, it was a lot of people. John was, if you will, he was kind of a rock star. He had roadies, he had groupies, he had the whole bit, didn't he? And there were all these people coming out to be baptized by John. Why? We read this in, in verse five of Matthew chapter three. We read that people went out to John from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So if people are coming to John to be baptized as they're confessing sins, did Jesus have anything to confess? Okay, maybe we need to backtrack just a little bit on, on that. <laughs> Let's, let's go back to that one. Did Jesus have anything to confess? Oh, whew. okay, you just saved yourself a half an hour. See, here's the deal. <laughs> Jesus had no sin. Like, that's, that's a huge part of this story, right? The, all the way through, Jesus has no sin. So does he need to repent? Yes or no? <laughs> does he need to confess? Yes or no? So, so he doesn't need to roll up to John and say, hey, John, I'm here to get baptized like everybody else. So when you read that, there's this part where you go, well, that... That's odd, because why would he be there? You're not the only one thinking that. Look at this, Matthew chapter three, verse 14. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Like even John's saying, Jesus, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I know you. So because we know each other, I, I know about you, and you don't need to be baptized by me. In fact, this story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, it shows up in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John gives us a little bit of insight here. John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Does that sound like someone who needs baptized to you? No, in fact, John's thinking just the opposite. He's not thinking that he wants Jesus to be baptized by him. It's just the opposite. John's like, Jesus, uh, I, I need to be baptized by you. 
If you remember just in the, in the last passage of scripture that we looked at last week, John says, look, I baptize you with water, but there's another one coming who's greater than I am. And when he shows up, he's not going to baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John says, I want some of that. So Jesus, I know, I know you're, you're coming out. You're very kind that you want me to baptize you. But I'm not going to do it, Jesus, because you don't need this, or so John thinks. What I need, John says, is Jesus, I need you to baptize me, because that's what should be happening here. Except there's so much more happening here. And we're going to see this unfold in this passage, but John can't get it yet. Have you ever been driving, using your GPS, maybe even in a place where you're somewhat familiar with, and you look, and it tells you to go a certain way, and you say to yourself, well, that doesn't make any sense. Anybody? And you're like, I'm not doing that because that's, I know the way <laughs> and that's not the way this plays out. I've had this happen quite a bit. If I'm, if I'm like near downtown and I want to get on 75, does anybody know what I'm talking about? They change it daily. Can I get an amen? Right? And your GPS says, Hey, you got to go all the way over here to get over there. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's dumb. I know where I'm at until I get where I think I need to go and find out that the road's closed or the exit isn't open or, or there's something going on. And I'm like, I should have listened. So here's the deal. I think I know where I'm going, but this GPS already knows where I'm trying to go. It knows the end of the destination. So it may say that you have to do something right now that doesn't make sense, but if you'll do that right now, that's what it's gonna take for you to get where you wanna go. Does that make sense? So Jesus rolls up and says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John checks his GPS and says, well, that's not the way it works, Jesus. Like, you don't need me, I need you. Like, this doesn't make any sense. I want, I want Holy Spirit and fire. You don't need water. You're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John thinks he's got it figured out because he only sees right here, right now, and what he thinks he knows. Jesus, on the other hand, sees the big picture of where we're trying to go. Does that make sense? Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. Watch the next verse. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John Consented. Side note, extra sermon. This one's free. If Jesus tells you to do something, it's a good idea to consent. Can I get an amen? Anybody? You're not paying for that one. That's just, that's just there. That's just there. We are about two and a half chapters into the Gospel of Matthew. 63 verses into the book that we're studying. And this is the first time Jesus has opened his mouth. If you're reading this in your Bible or looking on an app, it's the first time you're gonna see red letters. Do you know what I mean when I say red letters? Like if you're not familiar with the scriptures, when you're, most, most Bibles, or if you're looking at a Bible app, most of the time, when Jesus speaks, instead of the print being in black, it's in red. So you know that that's, that's Jesus, that's God that's speaking directly. There's the first time you get this in the Gospel of Matthew. First time you get it in the New Testament, so if this is the first time in scripture that the red letters show up, if it's the first recorded words of the adult Jesus, do you think we should pay attention? Yeah, this is important. What he says here is really important and we don't want to miss it. And here's the thing, it's a little tricky. Like this passage is actually a little bit confusing when you read it. So here's what I wanna do. Can we, can we pull over for just a moment, take a little scenic view? Are you, are you with me? You all right, okay, you can leave the engine running. 
But let's just look at this real quick. I wanna look at this same passage from a few different Bible versions. This is from the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, a really good translation. It says, Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. Do you allow Jesus to do anything? <laughs> like that one cracks me up. <laughs> but here's what I wanna I want show you here in that passage. If we, if we go back to that one in the CSB, he, he says, allow it for now. Like John, just hold tight, trust me right now. I know you, you wanna look ahead, but take a glance at the GPS, John, for now. Here it is in the New Living Translation. The New Living, but Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. So there's a key there because he says, look, God's requiring this. This is important. We need to carry this out because this is something that, that God wants, which gives us a different perspective on that. One last one from the message version, but Jesus insisted, do it. I like that. If you're not familiar, Jesus and John the Baptist were relatives of some kind. People figure they were like second cousins. They, they had some kind of relation, so they probably knew each other. So, so John knows Jesus, and Jesus rolls up, and John starts protesting, and Jesus just gives him that look and says, do it. You ever had that? <laughs> Jesus is like, cuz, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. Did John fully understand what was happening here? Nah, there's, there's no way. We, we won't see this until I think it's Matthew chapter 12, but one of the things we'll find out is John will probably die with more questions than answers. And he doesn't fully understand what's happening, but he knew that he could trust Jesus. It often goes that way, doesn't it? where you find yourself in a spot and you go, I thought, I thought the route would be different. I thought things wouldn't look like this. I never dreamed that this opportunity would come my way and I never saw this challenge coming. This pain or this change or this loss and I don't understand it, but in the midst of it, coming to terms with the fact that even though you don't understand where you are right now, Jesus can be trusted. Look, God is not random, and he has a plan, and he is putting it together. He's working. And sometimes we struggle, like John, because all we see is where we are right now, and we fail to see that what God is doing is getting us to where we wanna be. It just might be that we go a direction that we never thought we would. Does that make sense? So John has this happening here, and he says, for now, for now, right now, I need you to trust me, because in this, God is putting something together that he's been working on for a long time. So, so let's go back and look at, at that passage again from the NIV where we started, Matthew chapter three, verse 15. Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, then John consented. He says, for now, John, because John, today, right now, in this moment, God is starting something. Like, John, you, you, you can't see it, but here on the banks of the Jordan, God is fixing something that has been wrong for a long time, and today, he is choosing to make it right. He's choosing to come in and change this, John. 
He wants to fix this and make it right. It's an interesting passage of scripture because scholars debate about it and when you, when you read it, you question it and Christians have been curious about it. And I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I think, and this is this one I wanna show you just for a few moments here. I, did, I think there's three things that Jesus is doing. As we look at this here, there's three things that Jesus is doing in this passage that we do not want to miss. And if, if you are a leader of some kind, Maybe you're a leader in, in your job, you're a leader in the community, you're a leader somehow in, in the church, or especially if you're a leader in your home, and in particular, parents, grandparents. And I want you to miss these next few things, because these things that Jesus is doing in this passage are critically important, not just from a theological standpoint, but they're huge from a very practical standpoint, how we live. Let me show you real quick, three things Jesus is doing in this passage. He is relating he is modeling, and he's acting. And we'll, we'll unpack these here for a moment, but I want you to just kind of see this as we move through this. In this passage of scripture, Jesus is relating, he's modeling, and he's acting. First, if we, if we kind of pull over and look at this for a minute, first, he is relating to us. One of the huge parts of scripture is that Jesus came in human flesh so he could be like us, so he could relate to us. Remember when Jesus was, was born, one of the prophecies that came to Joseph in Matthew chapter one was they said that he shall be called Emmanuel because he will be God with us. He relates to us. He knows us. He knows what it's like to be like us. He knows what it's like to have humanity. Now this, this isn't on the screens, but listen to this passage. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He had no sin, but he became sin for us so he could relate to us because in that then he was able to pay the price for us that he couldn't pay unless he related and knew what it was like to be us. Does that make sense? So what Jesus does here in relating to us, in humbling himself, in being vulnerable, in being baptized is huge. Because it's one thing if God just shows up in all his glory and he shows up and he shows off and then he, he just takes off. But instead, Jesus shows up as a, as a baby in human flesh so that he knows what it's like to be the one who sacrificed for our sins. So the first thing he's doing here is he's relating to us. Second, he's modeling for us. He's showing us the steps that we should take if we are going to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, if I'm doing this, if I'm being baptized, then you should be baptized. Think about it. The very first thing in the Gospels that we see adult Jesus do for himself is he chooses to be baptized. Do you think baptism is important? <laughs> oh, please help me. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. Look, baptism is important. Some people say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in staying dry. Tell me why I should be baptized. Well, one, because this is what Scripture tells us to do. Like, we, we want to be obedient to the commands of Scripture. The other thing that I see is this, that so many times what happens is when we choose obedience, blessing follows. There's something powerful that happens. Now, look, when I've had the opportunity to teach the baptism class, I usually tell those that are kind of candidates for baptism, look, I can't make any promises, but, but my guess is you'll go down in the water. When you come up, you won't hear like, oh. 
and then this bright light and Pastor Jordan starts glowing. That's probably not gonna happen. If it does, let us know. We'll put you on a video, right? And so like, like that's probably not gonna happen. But I will tell you this, that when you take that step of faith in obedience, my life experience has been that obedience is followed by blessing from God. There's something powerful in that. But if you want any simple reason to get baptized, you should get baptized because Jesus got baptized. Anybody want to be more like Jesus? Well, if you say you want to be like Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I got a first step for you. <laughs> Look, now, now our next kind of scheduled baptism is not until a little bit later this fall. But what I know is this, that oftentimes if you sense in your heart that you're a follower of Jesus, but you've not yet taken that step. The most important thing for me to tell you is not, hang on, we're coming soon, but to say you need to choose to act right now. So if you've not yet been baptized in water, we don't, we don't have the tank today, but what I'd love for you to do is to let us know and say, look, I wanna choose to follow Jesus in baptism, and then we can help you to know when the next earliest possible opportunity is for you to take those steps. So I usually don't say this, but if you're, if you're sitting here and you know, auditorium one, auditorium two, you're watching this on TV or online or wherever, and you go, I need to get baptized, this is actually a great time to pull out your phone and very quickly, very quickly, very quickly, don't you dare go to Facebook, very quickly, <laughs> right? You can, you can go, there's a QR code that's behind me here. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comments. If you're anywhere else, you can just go out to our website, littlecalvary.org, scroll down a little bit, you'll see where it says water baptism, click there. We would love to keep you then in the loop on the next time we'll be able to have a baptism. Now look, go back to those, those three things. What was Jesus doing here? Jesus was relating, he was modeling, and he was acting. If, if you're a leader somewhere on the job, in your home, Jesus is giving you some incredible leadership principles here, even just in those first two things, as he relates to us and models for us what it means to be a disciple. I, I know it's a cliche, but I think it's true. Have you ever heard that phrase, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you ever heard that? Well, it's true. And they need to know that you relate to them, that you have empathy for them, that you've, you've paused just to think, what is it like to be in that person's place, to, to experience what they've gone through, to live the life that they've lived? If you'll make a deliberate point to try to relate to someone, it creates incredible opportunity to have relationship with that person. And not just relate, but to model. Here, here's another cliche, but have you ever heard this? That faith is more caught than taught? Have you ever heard this? Look, you can preach all the sermons you want, but if your life is not consistent, if you don't give a good example, if you're a saint on Sunday but a hypocrite at home, then that message, it gets lost in translation. I thought about this quite a bit. Like, where in my life have I seen someone relate to me and model for me what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And look, I can go back and I, I can point you to my parents. I can point you to Rhonda's parents. I, I, can, I can tell you about people that I grew up with, people I went to college with. Talk about people that we were, we were a part of a church in Wisconsin that, that so shaped us, a church in Missouri that so shaped us, pastors that I've served with or that I've served for. I could name person after person after person here at Calvary that has impacted that. But one in particular 
came to my mind when I was thinking about this when Ron and I were um, students in high school. Our youth pastors were Peter and Lily Conforti. And last year we lost Peter to cancer. And I got thinking about their influence. I don't know why, even outside of this, uh, this week. And the things that they, they taught us. They taught us what it looks like to be a healthy pastor. And they taught us what it looks like to have a strong marriage. And they taught us what it looks like to go through hard times and trust in Jesus. And they taught us how to laugh, which is good to know, isn't it? (laughs) And I got thinking about it, not once, not once did Peter and Lily ever sit down with us and go, okay, now Chad and Rhonda, we want to teach you about ministry and laughing, right? (laughs) They didn't do that. You know how we learned it? Because they related to us where we were and then we watched their life and it so deeply, deeply affected us that we will never be the same because of the influence and impact of Peter and Lily Conforti in our lives. Do you have anybody like that that kind of comes to mind? And you go, I'm shaped because of, because of who they were. And can I tell you this? God wants you to be that for someone else, for your family, for your children and grandchildren. There will be people who you might never know this until you get to heaven who will go, you know how I knew to go through that tough time because I watched her in that season. You know how I knew what it was like to build a happy marriage? Because I saw something in them that I couldn't have learned in any other way. When you live your life, whether you realize it or not, through your relating and your modeling, you are impacting the lives of others. So Jesus shows us this right here at the beginning. First thing he does He shows us how important this is, the relating, the modeling, and then let's go to the third one. He was acting. Third, he's acting to bring us salvation. In this passage, Jesus is acting, and I don't mean acting like an actor. I mean acting like he's putting into motion. He's he's, he's bringing action to us receiving salvation. what What does Jesus say? He says, John, we need to do this now. Because this is how God's going to fulfill, that word fulfill is keep, fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill, fulfill what? Well, we've already been there, right? Do you remember when we were reading about Jesus' family tree? And over and over again, there was this connection back to David, that he would be the Davidic Messiah. He would fulfill that prophecy. And the word came to Joseph that you should call him Jesus because he's gonna save his people from there. <laughs> Sins, and you're gonna call him Emmanuel because he is going to be God with us. And then you see him as a king and you see him as a suffering servant. And he's saying, John, I'm here to fulfill this. John, God's doing something. He's been lining this up. What do we read in the message version? For centuries, God has been putting this together. We saw this last week. You can't go to the Old Testament. You can't read through those 39 books without hearing over and over and over again, someone is coming. Someone is coming. I know that things are wrong. I know that things are messed up. But someone is coming. And when that someone comes, he's going to make things right. The prophecy in Isaiah 42, verse 1, sounds an awful lot like what we've already read. God's going to say from heaven, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, my son with whom I'm well pleased. Isn't that what he says? And he says, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. How's he gonna do it? Isaiah 53 says this, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. John, I know this doesn't make sense. I know that standing here on the banks of the Jordan, you think that I should be baptizing you. But John, this is about so much more. Because John, for millennia, the truth has been someone is coming. Someone is coming. Well, John, someone's here. And when we step into that water, John, we take the first step into fulfilling everything that God said needed to happen so that everything could be made right. Boy, did things need to be made right. Because humanity has taken all kinds of crazy wrong turns, true? We found ourselves doing the wrong things. We've been looking, as the great hymn of the church says, we've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that true? (laughs) And things have been so wrong. What we need is someone to make it right. Crazy story, big big multi-story mall in Boston recently. There was an elderly lady who was in the parking garage and uh, she got confused. And I I don't judge her for that. Anybody ever kind of got messed up in a parking garage? As a church, we don't believe in purgatory. You know that, right? Like if you looked at our doctrines, we don't believe in purgatory. If there is a purgatory, it's a parking garage. I am confident of that. I'm confident of that. I hate them. She got disoriented and couldn't figure out where to go, what to do. So she said a little SUV. She's driving a little white car. And as she's driving, she, she kind of makes this turn. And all of a sudden, these glass doors that are there open up in front of her. So she says, I'm going through. So she drives across through, through the glass doors, pretty tight fit, but she's, she's doing all right. She, she, drives through, she drives across the pedestrian bridge and about 60 feet onto the balcony in the second floor of this mall and stopped right between two stores very conveniently. <laughs> Poor lady. In part, my heart breaks for her. In part, I wished I'd been there to see it. Anybody else? That's crazy. Get your camera out, right? And they, they came and they helped her and they, somebody, somebody came and was able to back the car out a couple of scuffs later and she had to go to the hospital to make sure you know, she was okay and all this kind of stuff. But isn't it funny how a couple of wrong turns, somebody had been in an accident in the garage, they had taken out the barrier that was supposed to block those doors from traffic. So she just made a wrong turn. And isn't it funny how sometimes when we make wrong turns, it, it still seems like the doors open up in front of us. Sometimes the enemy's more than happy to make you think you're going the right way when you're heading in the wrong direction. And hard to judge her, because who of us haven't found ourselves making a wrong turn, looking for love in all the wrong places, ending up someplace we never intended to be, in our relationships, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. And John stands there next to Jesus. He can't fully understand it, I don't know that we can either. And Jesus says, John, I know this isn't the way you thought it would go, but hang tight, buddy, because you know everything that's wrong? When we step out there in the water, we start making it right. Because you can read the story for yourself how from John's baptism, Jesus Jesus leads a life without any sin, and we're gonna look at his teachings, and we're gonna look at his miracles, and we're gonna look at how he changes our lives. And then he dies on a cross to pay the price for your sins and mine, and then on the third day, he's, he's risen so that you and I can know that death has been defeated and we can live forever. 
And he gives our life hope and meaning and purpose. And it all started, don't make this some little story in Matthew chapter three. It all starts when Jesus says, come on, John, let's put this thing in motion. Let's act to save the world. And I think today's a good day for us to thank him for that, don't you? So we're gonna take a moment and come to the Lord's table. But before, before, you, before you touch that communion cup, if you're here in the room, because I know once you touch it, you can't help but fidget with it. <laughs> Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Because more important than figuring out if you can get the first layer off without the second is when Paul says then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Folks, there's no better time than right now to say, Jesus, will you take what's wrong and make it right? And I'm gonna guess that for all of us that are human, we could say, God, I've had wrong thoughts and wrong words have come out of my mouth. And I've, I've done wrong things with my hands and I've held on to the wrong stuff with my heart. And my feet have led me to some of the wrong places and I've had some people do some wrong things to me. And today, Jesus, I'm looking to you to take what's wrong and to make it right. And whether it's for the very first time or maybe it feels like it's the millionth time, there's no time like right now to just right where you are in your heart to say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Will you take what's wrong and will you make it right? Lord, we all need that. And Holy Spirit, right now, you're, you're highlighting for each one of us exactly the work you wanna do. So Lord, would you take what's wrong and would you make it right in our lives? Lord, we confess those areas and we repent of those things and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we so need your salvation and we thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna invite you to, to take the communion elements, whether you're here with us in the building or you're joining us somewhere else. And would you peel back that first layer and as you hold the bread in your hands, Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And heavenly father, we thank you for the bread that we hold in our hands, which is a symbol of the broken body of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. 
that your body was broken, not because we were perfect or we earned it or we deserved it, but because while we were still sinners, even in the midst of our wrong turns, you died for us. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We remember your broken body as we share in the bread together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the bread. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Father, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, your word says that because of the blood, there's life and there's forgiveness and there's healing and there's hope. And Lord, in our world where so many things are wrong, the blood of Jesus can make things right. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And we thank you for the work you have yet to do. And we remember your sacrifice as we share in the cup together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's share in the cup. Jesus, thanks for your sacrifice. And as we remember it, there's a little bit more you want to show us today. So Lord, would you help our hearts to stay open to hear from your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. I got a, I got a friend that whenever his family was on a road trip, his kids would say, Dad, how much further? He'd always say, about an hour. Could have been eight, could have been 20 minutes. He just told him about an hour, which was code for, don't ask me again. Anybody else, right? I'll tell you, we only have two more verses to look at, and we're gonna run through those real quick on our little road trip. Do you still have a little gas in your tank? Okay, so let's, it didn't matter, it didn't matter. Here we go, um, Matthew chapter three, verse 16. Let's jump back in. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And we read further that it tells us in that passage, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. And so you've got this powerful passage of scripture that's there. Now let me go back and show you something here real quick. When you look at that passage of scripture, you, you see a cast of characters you see Jesus, the Son of God, you see God, the Father, and you see God, the Holy Spirit. Did you see all three of them in that story? Jesus is in the water, the heaven opens, and God, this is my son. God speaks, I don't know if he cleared his voice or not, but you know what I mean. And then the Holy Spirit descends, we see all three members of the Godhead in that passage of scripture. So I'm gonna ask you to track with me for just a couple of moments. We're gonna take a little, a little doctrinal side journey here, and we're gonna talk about a, a topic in scripture that's referred to as the Trinity. Have you heard that term before? 
the Trinity. Now look, if you start searching for it in your Bibles, you won't find it. You're not gonna find that term, the Trinity, in Scripture. But it is there. It is in the Old Testament. You see it expanded and explicitly in the New Testament. And we wanna talk for a few moments about what is the Trinity. Now look, this is a, a, a tricky thing for us to understand. I don't think anybody fully has a grasp on it. But Wayne Grudem, in his Systematic Theology, it talks about three statements that help us to understand the Trinity. So I wanna do about six hours of Bible teaching in five minutes. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Let's talk about what is the Trinity. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The Trinity is God is three persons. Like God has revealed himself to us through his word as three persons. Now this is a concept, again, that's kind of tricky for us to understand. Every analogy you use, I've heard people talk about the Trinity using an egg, anybody? using water, using a clover, right? All these things, they all fall apart at some point. But here's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So when he talks about God, he refers to him in those three different ways. With me? So the first thing we talk about, what is the Trinity, is that God is three persons. The second thing is that each person is fully God. Sometimes I think we think of, of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as like God the Father is the CEO and God the Son does HR. Anybody? And like, and like God the Holy Spirit is by the water cooler, just if you need him. Right, we kind of think about it that way. But when you look at scripture, what you find is you don't have like head God and then multiple gods. They're, they're all God. And again, we don't have time to unpack this, but sometimes we think of Jesus, and, and this has actually been taught as a heresy in the church, that Jesus was some really righteous guy that kind of got, got zapped. He was more man than he was God. So he kind of got zapped and blessed and favored, and then he got to be the son of God. But that's not what scripture teaches, is it? John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the word, the word is Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was there when things were created. Like, Jesus is not just some kind of afterthought or some lucky guy, he's God. And the same thing's true about the Holy Spirit. Like, don't take away from Jesus being God, because if you just say that Jesus was a, was a good man, or if you don't understand that he was fully man, but also fully God, then you cheapen his work on the cross, do you not? Like we, we can unpack this in a lot of different ways. The three quick things about the, the Trinity, or, or we'll, we'll be here past lunch and then you get angry and all that. What is the Trinity? God is three persons. Number two, each person is fully God. And number three, there is one God. There's the head scratcher, isn't it? He's three persons, but he's just one God. Do we worship three different gods? No, we only worship one God. So this is where it's a beautiful mystery we don't fully understand it, but scripture teaches this. And for some reason, it may, I, I'd like to believe we'll understand it better someday when we really live in heaven, right? Then we'll go, oh, that's it. I should have just trusted the GPS. Like we don't like it when we can't understand it. Any control freaks in the house? But sometimes we just gotta go, hey, this is it. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Which is the point where some of you go, can I wake up now, Chad? Because that whole, sorry, I yawned and some of you started yawning. That was funny. That's, that was funny. It's contagious. Because um, that's boring. Like sometimes when we talk about doctrine, we talk about theology, things like the Trinity that seem to just be kind of these concepts that are out there, we can have a tendency to think that they're 
not that important. And to be honest, we just kind of snooze right through them. Recently, there was a flight, I believe it was coming from Sudan, going to Ethiopia, and uh, they were approaching the airport in Addis Ababa, and they were on their way, and they were at 37,000 feet, and air traffic controllers watched as the plane that was supposed to be landing at the airport just went right by. Just didn't descend, didn't slow down, just just went right by. Well, of course, there's a panic. What's going on? What's happening? They send out an alert. And what they found out is that when they sent out the alert, that's when they woke up the crew. They put the plane on autopilot and the two pilots fell fast asleep and they they just shot right past their destination. So they kind of woke up, got their bearings about them and 25 minutes later, they landed. The story doesn't say this, but my guess is about 35 minutes later, they were looking for a new job. Anybody else? Right? But we do this with theology sometimes. Right, we think certain things are, it's kind of boring. Really doesn't matter to my everyday life. Really don't care that much. But when we don't pay attention to those things, one of two things happen. One, when we don't pay attention to those things, we start to believe things that aren't true. So we don't have a time to unpack details about the Trinity today. But I, I walk through those three things, and if, if somebody or something teaches you something different than that, I'd encourage you to take a really good look at Scripture Because as we look at scripture, this is what we believe about the Trinity. And I could unpack this in a lot of ways. I just wanna give you one snapshot why it matters. And it matters from the story we were just looking at from Jesus' baptism, right? This isn't just a fun little side trip. I want you to see something, right? Here's what I want you to know. When we fail to acknowledge the Trinity, we actually minimize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we fail to acknowledge the Trinity, We minimize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want you to think about this because Jesus is in the water. Mark tells us that the heavens actually ripped open and then the voice comes down and says, this is my son, with him I'm well pleased. Or I looked at that passage in Isaiah chapter 42 and with those words, prophetically, it's like God saying, he's the one, he's the king. You know the one you've been waiting for? Someone's coming, he's the one. And in that moment, God crowns Jesus as the king. And do you know what he places on him as the crown? His presence is the Holy Spirit. And you see the Trinity there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We miss this sometimes, the importance of not just what happens to Jesus as the Holy Spirit descends on him and lands on him and anoints him for ministry, Like when you read through scripture, everything that Jesus does, we see this, he does through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. So if the Holy Spirit can work in Jesus' life, can the Holy Spirit work in your life? And when he does that, he acknowledges the work of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just some kind of sidekick. He's God. If you study the prayers of the early church, especially um, during the Celtic period, so like the days of, say, St. Patrick or St. Columba, you look at that kind of Celtic prayer. They had this practice where they prayed through the Trinity, and they believed that each part of the Godhead was at work in their lives. In Calvin Miller's book on this, and I love this little quote that he brings to us, he talks to us and he says, but what does the Spirit look like? He's invisible, amorphous, and cellophane. He's saying, like, like, I can understand a father. I can understand a son. I can't understand a spirit. He may indwell us, but it rarely occurs to us to pray to him. 
At best, he's just a supporting actor in the divine drama. You ever felt that way? The Holy Spirit is nice, and sometimes he makes us feel good in church, but we rarely have conversations with him. Jesus takes care of our personal stuff. God takes care of the Grand Canyon, and the Holy Spirit gets honorable mention at communion and baptisms. Isn't that how we feel sometimes? But what happened when Jesus was in the water and the Spirit descended on him is that the Spirit came on him and anointed him for ministry in that moment to where not only was he filled with the Spirit, but he became the one authorized from Scripture as God to fill you with the Spirit. Remember, he didn't come to baptize with water. What did he come to baptize with? <laughs> the Holy Spirit with fire. He said this, Acts chapter one, verse four. We, we, we read this, we've read this a bunch of times. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He says, for John baptized with water, we read that, right? But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one because of what happened to him standing in the waters of the Jordan that can pour his spirit out on you, the spirit who brings joy and peace and empowerment and presence, he can do that because of what happened there at Jesus' baptism. Thanks, Chad. That was a great story. But how's that help me tomorrow? Because tomorrow, I have to go back into it. I've heard from several of you lately about what you'll walk back into tomorrow because it's back to school and you're gonna walk back into that place that you just go, God, I don't know how I'm gonna make it here. God, I don't know what I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Some of you are walking into your job and you're like, I don't know that I have what it takes and I don't know that I can deal with that manager one more day and I don't know how I'm gonna get through that situation and I don't know I don't know that there's any hope in this home. And I don't know how I'm gonna make it with the things that are going on in my head. And Chad, I appreciate your cute little story about Jesus and baptism and the Holy Spirit and the crown and all that stuff, and that's great, and I thank you for the Trinity and all that kind of stuff. But how does that, how does that help me? Because I appreciate that Jesus had the Holy Spirit show up in his life when he was baptized, but tomorrow when I show up, it's gonna feel like I'm looking the devil right in the face. And when I get to school, it's like Satan's right there with me. And when I get to work, I feel like the adversary's right there next to me. And when I wake up and I walk down the hall and I get into the kitchen, sometimes it's like Beelzebub is right there. Don't you dare look at the person next to you. <laughs> Can I show you one more scripture? At the end of Matthew chapter three, it says that God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes down. The very Next verse, Matthew chapter four, verse one. We'll get there next week. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He stepped out of the Jordan and into Beelzebub's face. He knows what it's like to be face to face with evil. He knows what it's like to be face to face with discouragement. He knows what it's like to be face to face with difficulty and do you know why he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the end of Matthew chapter three? Because he was gonna need it for Matthew chapter four. And some of you, you need it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is God? 
at work in your life for what you're gonna face tomorrow. So can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? We just, we just pulled into our destination. And the team's gonna come and they're gonna lead us in a song that says, God, we need a fresh wind. The fragrance of heaven, a holy anointing, the power of your presence. And I know it's not everybody, but I'm so sure it's somebody that you would say, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me to take what's wrong and make it right. But today I need your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I need your joy. And I need your peace. And I need your strength. And I need your infilling. Because the only way I'm gonna get through this next chapter in my life is Holy Spirit, if you'll help me. If that's you and you would say today, Holy Spirit, would you pour your spirit out on me? Would you just stand right where you are in this room? You're watching this on a screen somewhere, wherever it is right now, you know that where you're at right now, you just need the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand just kind of right where you are? This isn't an expression of weakness. This is, this is a request for strength. And you're certainly not standing alone. And you know where you're at and you would just say, Holy Spirit, would you pour your spirit out? Spirit, would you pour out your presence in my life? In this season of transition, in this time of pain, in the questions that I'm asking and in front of the crazy opportunities that are ahead. Holy Spirit, I need you to, to pour your spirit out in my life. I need that holy anointing in my heart. Lord, would you pour your spirit out in me? In Jesus' name. Everybody, would you stand with us as we sing this song and make it our prayer? We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven. Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. Holy anointing. A holy anointing. The power of your presence, pour your spirit out, 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 pour your spirit out.
that again. Pour your spirit out. 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 I don't know if it's somebody in this room or somebody who's getting this through some incredible technology somewhere. I just really sense that the Spirit of God is speaking to somebody who came into this and just really felt like it was done and it was over and that they weren't going to make it and they were ready to give up. And you needed to know today that you're not doing this on your own and that Jesus has come to be the one who baptizes and fills you with his spirit. And his spirit will empower you. The spirit of God will come alongside of you to go and do and be everything that he's called and created you to do. Thanks, God, for your presence here today. Thanks, God, for your work in our lives. Lord, thanks for a reminder that you take what's wrong and you make it right. And then, Holy Spirit, that you bless us with everything we need to do and be everything that you've called us to be and do. God, thanks for your presence here today. Thanks for the way your word is gonna stick with us throughout this week. Lord, as we go, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, look, if you'd love for someone to pray with you before you go, we've got a team down here of folks who would love the opportunity to share with you. If you don't have a Bible that you can easily read and understand, love to give you one today before you go. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. Say, pour your spirit out.